Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast where we talk about anything and everything family law related. Welcome to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. My name's Alex and I'm here with my friend and my colleague, Liza. And today we thought we'd talk about how do you go about reaching agreement for what happens to the children, making arrangements for them after you've separated from your ex? So, Liza, any sort of good hints and tips as to what to do in the aftermath of separation? You want to get things sorted with the kids? Where do we go? Do you want the kids? First off, ask yourself the question. Uh, Well, they're still valuable for medical experiments. So, yes, you know, that was... uh, wasn't life of Brian, was it? No, it was the meaning of life. I'm selling the children for medical experiments. <laughs> so, but so let's assume that I, I do want the children. Assume right? that you I, want the kids, and I do. And for, okay. for my boys listening, were you to be, uh, you know, join our throng of uh, listeners, then uh, I do love you, and I do want to um, remain your your father. Biological father. Biological, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Okay, not so not going down that road today. We'll talk about <laughs> DNA testing another day, I think. But uh, this is just about where do we go? I mean, we, we might not want to be together anymore, but we've still got children from our relationship. Well, that's Who's going to look after them? I think the very first thing is to recognise that fact is that your adult relationship is over, but your co-parenting relationship has just begun. So you do need to treat this like it's a a business decision in a way. You need to treat your children as if they are somewhat like a commodity so that you can try and work out, okay, well, what's going to be in the best interest of them? So the first thing I would do is I would try and broach the topic with my ex and say, okay, what do you want? What do you think should happen? This is what I want. This is what I think should happen. And start to start that process as nicely as possible without so any of the argy-bargy. what should happen in terms of, you know, I want the kids to live with me half the time or I want them to live with me all the time or... Yeah, whatever, you know, I, whatever I ha- it is that is you're wanting to do in terms of the arrangements that you're wanting for those kids, where they, where you want them to live, what school they're going to go to, how often they're going to see each other, how often they're going to see um, each party's extended family, grandparents and things like that. It really is having to sort of... It's like mapping out their lives, isn't it? It's deciding, you know... What's going to fit for those particular kids? What works with you know, everybody's jobs? Where where are the family? I mean, I, you and I both have a number of cases bubbling away on the back stove there somewhere, including ones where a parent might want to relocate to another state. I mean, there's, there's a lot of difficult decisions to be made in the wake of a separation. It's not always, okay, you know, well, I'm going to move next door and they'll be with me half the time and you half the time. That's. I have heard of a place, <coughs> like there was... I think I heard on a radio station once where there was a family and they actually had one house um, that it was like a duplex and basically the the parties lived in those two houses side by side and the kids would just come and go as they wanted to. So that is probably a very rare scenario. I, I know somebody personally who live um, in an apartment complex in which the same apartment complex her former partner lives and their son moves in between apartments. And it works. Well, and it's look, great. And it probably does for some people. And maybe that is an option, particularly um, you know, when parties are trying to work out what's going to happen with the family home. Well, we might just knock down, rebuild it as to two duplexes or we just 
put up a big wall in between the. I think we might be onto something here. Would, I think yeah. I think we could. The, the, all that money that you would otherwise spend on your lovely local family lawyers could be spent on redeveloping your 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 three up two down type property into you know two duplexes. That's right. Side and by side with an interjoining door that only the child has the pin to. Oh God, that's that's trouble. <laughs> anyway, um, so in terms of working out what we're what we're trying to do um, for these kids, where they're going to live, the first thing I'd do is I'd broach the topic with my ex, and I'd say to him or her, or whichever whoever we're talking about here, is that um, this is what I'm wanting, and this is why I'm wanting it. It's really important to say the why because it gets overlooked. It's not about um, someone being entitled to something. It's not about this sense of, oh, well, I'm the mother and therefore that's my role. It's, no, I think that I should have the children because I'm at home most of the time and you work um, night shifts. Yeah, so it's it's practicalities as well, isn't it? A lot of the time it is. So it might be that you've got to come up with something that is... Um, more suited to whatever your environment, whatever your day to day looks like, and it's really important not just to say this is what I'm, this is what's going to happen, because if you could put yourself in the other person's shoes for a moment, and think, okay, well, how would I feel? How would I receive that information if someone said to me, this is what's going to happen? I'd be saying, hang on a minute, no, 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 that's not going to happen, and all it does is get the other party offside. So if you try and dictate terms, you're likely to end up in a real positional, sort of polarised kind of argument with each other. And That's right. You've already separated because that relationship hasn't lasted the course. It's not going to get better by being highly positional and making demands of the other person. No, it's not. And that's one of the things that people have to realise is that, you know, you, you need to be thinking about um, what your proposal looks like from the other person's perspective, mm. whether you like them or not. At the end of the day, it's their kid too. And, and children they, are always going to love their, both parents. That's right. So the easiest way to try and get your case off on the right foot is to actually have, um, is to is to try and take that perspective. And if you can't through because of there might be um, domestic violence or you just might not be at that stage of the separation process yet, well, that's that's still okay. But what you what the important part is that you talk to someone and try and work out how you're going to be able to do how you're going to get to that point Mm. because that if you can get that early stage right it can usually steer your ship your separation ship in a a, on a much better course so it's it's really important in my experience that people try and have those conversations sooner rather than later and and you mentioned domestic violence a minute ago and of course we're talking about situations where there aren't any kind of risks of harm there's no not been any violence um, to the extent that there might be domestic violence, I'm only making really reference to uh, verbal kind of abuse and behaviours and things that can be uh, you know, dealt with through you know counselling courses and things like that. But it's about coming up with some some fairly speedy arrangements so that the children don't have any period of disconnection from either parent. Um, it, it might be the dad that leaves the family home. It might be the mum. It might be the mum taking the kids. It might be the dad taking the kids. It's about making sure that there is a reconnection and a continuity for the children's sake. I mean, we both know as family lawyers that one of the overarching purposes of uh, any decision around children is what's in the best interest of the children and how do we define that? Well, we find that by looking at the, the wording of the Act, the Family Law Act, that says meaningful relationship with both mother and father. 
and then with a caveat to say, except for when it's going to cause them harm. But if there's no harm here, then you've got to maintain those meaningful relationships for the sake of the children as much and above everything else. So that means biting your tongue, not worrying about your own relationship with your ex-partner to some extent, and saying, for the sake of the kids, let's do this. And just do this. And it might just be a sticking plaster solution for the next few weeks after separation so that there's some continuity and that gives everybody a little bit of breathing space but still the kids have time with both mum and, and dad or, or, or however the family structure is mm. so let's assume that you've separated and you're seeing the kids but it's a little bit irregular or the kids are seeing your ex and that's a little bit irregular and you don't really want to be having long deep and meaningful conversations with them anymore that that's been and gone now the relationship's floundered but you want to get to a a space where you can both know what's happening with the kids on a a, not necessarily a final basis but working forward into their future so it's a bit clearer for everybody you know you know what you know what days of the week they're going to be with you but you you can't quite get to agreeing with the other side are there any kind of services or or situations or things you should do well you can always go and have a um organize what's called a mediation and you can go through um either Relationships Australia or you can talk to your lawyer who can organise um, a mediation of that sort of thing. So how does a mediation actually work? Because I, I, I know that you're a nationally accredited mediator. So how would somebody even start that process? I mean, who would they phone? Who would they contact? Say, look, I, I, I think I've heard about mediation. It sounds like it would be a good way to talk about the kids without it being so confronting. They can do it two ways. They can either um, contact a mediator a mediation service themselves, like Relationships Australia, or, and the way that I would normally recommend, not because I have a self-interest here, but is to contact a lawyer, your family lawyer, and they'll try and organise the mediator for you. So do a private mediation. That's right. So what you're wanting to do there is you're trying to find the mediator that's going to be right for your particular matter. Now, Mm. Relationships Australia, they do a fantastic job. And I think that they they serve a particular purpose when parties are um, needing that urgent assistance and they're needing um, they're not entirely sure at this point when it's really early stages of what the issues are going to be. Mm. Um, I think it's a, a worthwhile trip to Relationships Australia and see what it is that's that's sort of. Um, stopping the parties from being able to agree. Well, they have an array of services, but the the <coughs> problem with um, anything that's federally or taxpayer funded is is it's a finite resource. It is. So they don't have. If you need to get things moving on quickly, uh, and very specifically, you can choose your dates, you can choose your times, and you can have a, a longer mediation, for example. That's then right. A lot of maybe the, a private. A lot of the um, the um, mediation services will only have. Um, sessions that go for about two hours and that's really not a long enough time to go through a lot of the issues now people sort of think oh god I'd, I would hope that I'd be able to talk this over with my ex in under two hours I don't want to take any longer than that but the whole mediation process is the reason why mediation works is because of its process it's not you're not just sitting there walking in um like an episode of all those law shows, I think Good Wife used to always, you'd have them sitting across the boardroom table and, you know, making um, eye, eye you know, comments at each other and rolling eyes and 
you know, snide little comments here and there. Yeah, American law shows are not good. You know, law TV shows are, are really not good education for anybody engaged in family law in Australia. That it has nothing whatsoever. No, like that. and and you know, and so you'd have these sorts of mediations, um, and they're very positional. And like I like we said from the outset of this episode today, is that in terms of when you're trying to negotiate and when you're trying to convince someone you really need to have that understanding of why and one of the parts of the mediation process is going through what we call an exploration phase and that is where parties will put forward their 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 underlying issues why they're here what what is the what is their main concern where they're coming from so not just, we don't jump into what they want. You don't start there. It's more no. about saying, let's talk about who you are and what your thoughts and feelings and concerns are here. That's right. So you break it down. When you turn up to a mediation, often you're in separate rooms. Um, you'll be you'll be there for, a, maybe for an opening, might be in a joint mediation. You might be at, you might be both in the same room for the mediator's opening where they tell both parties that they're impartial and that they don't know anyone and it's all independent. Um, and what will happen is that the very outset of the mediation, both parties get an opportunity to say why they're there. And in a lot of family law mediations, we don't do that in front of one another just because it's it can really agitate yeah. the and other party. It, it's that sense of here we are again, going back over the old ground of, that, of our relationship and the reasons we split up in the first yep. place. And but the mediator needs to know this. The mediator actually needs to understand whether or not there's some um, old issues that are that are holding up the settlement and the holding up of the parties being able to move forward. And so the mediator lets the party have that discussion and have that um, make that little speech about why they're there. And the media then will mediator will then rephrase and try and reframe everything that's been said and. Um, subject to your you you being the party um, giving that okay, the mediator will then go and have a chat to the other party and explain it in their way. In so it's about making sure people's voices are listened to, yeah. heard, and properly understood, and then conveying just the relevant parts to the other side, knowing yeah. that you're just there say to sort out arrangements for the kids. You you don't need to ventilate about an argument that you had at a barbecue five years ago. That's completely irrelevant. It might be something that you still harbour resentment over, what some incident that's happened, how the relationship failed. But that can sometimes, knowing that, can sometimes actually bring about a resolution. So I've had matters where um, at the initial, at the outset, you've had a party complaining about um, someone not happy with the flatmates that they used to have over to their house. And that's why they don't want to, they don't want to have um, the, ch- the children living um, and staying overnight with the other party because... Right, you know, right. Yeah, yeah, so they're understanding their cause for... It's like a cause for concern. It's like, well, I'm still annoyed because you did this and, you know, it might have been a once-off. It might have been a once-off where Dad had a party and had a whole range of people over and the child was there. And so Mum has not gotten over that. And that's always going to be a fear then that if that situation sort of yeah. could arise again, then I don't want that to happen for the for the child. But then when Dad realizes that one of the reasons that Mum is saying no overnight time because he's th- he's thinking, oh, okay, well, no, I'm 
I'm a good parent, I do the right thing, I'm not mm. violent, I'm not this, I'm not that. But it's all because of that one instance. And then and then he can then sort of say, he can address that issue. He yeah, can make specific promises around that and say, well, hey, I won't have anybody over or that's right. you know, no, no parties or, or no drinking and all those and sort of things. And that's the benefit of mediation is that you keep that control, you keep mm. that power and you can fine-tune whatever agreement you want and if it means that there are these other little side issues that mm. for the most part a court's not going to the court's not going to care what you did on on a on one occasion um it, particularly if the child was not harmed it's just that mum was jealous or whatever the case may be it's really it's an opportunity for the parties to actually explore the reasons why they feel that way and then being able to have the you know reach an agreement about you know, moving forward, they can want then move forward. People talk about closure all the time. It's giving them each part, each other that closure. And it certainly sounds like a process that's going to take a lot longer than two hours in most cases because you know, every child's unique, every child's circumstances are different. If you have more than one child that you're dealing with and you're trying to work out long-term arrangements, by the time you've sort of sat down and talked about how the process is going to work, try to go through that exploration phase understand where everybody's coming from and where their concerns might be well there's your two hours it's just gone that's right um i I think it's probably worthwhile mentioning um to anybody sort of listening in and wondering whether they should do a mediation that it's a process that is confidential and it's a process that is without prejudice which is lawyer language for saying what you say at a mediation can't be used against you later on in a court Uh, the there are a couple of exceptions to that aren't there which is if there is a you know an obvious risk of harm, or somebody's proposing to do something which is you know, illegal, profoundly illegal, um, and those are issues where a mediator can say, "Hang on, you know, we're off the page here." But in m- nearly all cases, mediations are purposefully confidential and they're protected, so that if you are having discussions at a mediation, the other person can't throw it out against you in the future outside of that. If you get an agreement at the end of the day, that's great, and you can rely upon that, and you sign a, sign that agreement. Um, but your mediator then, they, they go through the exploration phase with you and do they then sort of look at the competing proposals? Do they ask for any offers at this stage? Well, after you've gone through that exploration phase, that's when you do start to um, have a bit of an idea, an idea session. So where you're saying, well, how, what are the sorts of things that you're looking at? And you try and get the, the client to come up with the ideas because we will have some ideas Um of what, but we're not there to fix their problem. Well, it's a facilitative process. We are facilitating the parties to reach their own. In the we in this context, being we medi- as a mediator. mediator sorry, yeah. yeah. So it, the mediator is not there to try and fix the problem. They're trying to draw the solutions out of the parties based yeah. on what they've the process that they've been through. And so when those um, those ideas come out, the mediator will reality check the parties. In relation to those um, those ideas, so for example, if a, a a parent, let's say the dad, says, "I want the children with me half the time," but he works two weeks out, two weeks in, and in a fly and fly right. out situation, that's just not going to work. That's right. And you say, "Well, how does how is that actually going to work?" So it's just thinking about the practicalities of people's lives compared against their competing proposals, and and that's the mediator's job to sort of explore and just to re- as you say, reality check. That's it. right, and. You know, and if it's um, when when they sometimes you get really stubborn clients who will say no, I'm not settling for anything less than this. Mm. I need to have my children. My children. I'm only giving him 
every second fortnight, that's it. Yeah. And so the mediator will reality check in that instance and say, well, what are you going to do if a judge says no? What are you going to do if he says no? What's what's that going to look like? How's well, your, well, where does how's it go your, from here? That's right. So they've got to think beyond just what they want and mm. think in getting back to that exploration phase again and reminding each other why they why they are you know pressing for these particular things and trying to bring it back to it being really child focused is the other is the other key to being a good mediator i think now uh, as a family lawyer um we might some we often meet people before they go into that mediation process and certainly before court um i have obviously and i'm sure you have plenty of times too thought to myself my clients or my potential client, they are very, very positional. They have a very strong view as to what the outcome should be, but it isn't necessarily child-focused. It's all around their, probably their antipathy, their dislike of their ex, and they wish to control that process. Is there anything, um, would you sometimes suggest there's a value in getting some kind of report before you go into a mediation so that you've got a third, you know, we've got an expert that yeah, says... definitely. You'd want to have, um, if you've got someone who is set in their ways, particularly uh, if you might be, there, there may be a situation of domestic violence, it may be a coercive control case, and you would definitely want to go into a mediation armed with a family report. Arben Legal is proud to sponsor Split Happens. You will be in safe hands with Arben Legal. For all your family law needs, call us on 07 or visit our website at arbanlegal.com.au. So that's, that's a whole other thing, but it's a really important piece of evidence if it's in a court case. And if it's outside of a court case, a family report can be really helpful to give parents who've maybe been at war with one another in a relationship, you know, in, in, to use that parlance, but they can't necessarily see the wood for the trees about the children. It sort of helps them to see what's really going on. Well, it's a detailed an, report. You've got an independent person here who is looking at it from the child's perspective um, and making some recommendation that recommendations as to what's probably going to work best for that child. So it's child-focused, exclusively child-focused report. Yeah. And, but you don't need to be in court to get one of those? No, no. Um, family report writers, psychologists, counsellors, those who offer the service of writing a report will often um, agree to a family report. Um, it's just not a court-ordered one. So, so you, you just don't necessarily need to actually have it. You can have any party can agree on gathering evidence in a matter that they want or they need ahead of court. You know, I think we, we get a little bit lost in this world of court thinking that court is our only remedy. Mm. We can do all these things, well, a lot of these things, not all, but we can do most of these things before we get to court. So it's really important that people go, well, hang on, like you would try and get sort out your property disclosure and your values before you go to a property mediation. Well, why don't you get some evidence together? If you've got mm. allegations that someone's not fit because they're not a capable parent, we'll have a psych report. Um, if you have, uh, you know, if there are concerns about the children and the way they're going to react to dad because they just don't see dad all that often and they're a bit concerned, 
get a family report. Mm. And I suppose as well, if it's if more practical things even that aren't even requiring an expert, but you're moving into different places, you, you've, you know, in different residences, you might be unsure whether dad's, as you say, house sharing or whether, you know, whether mum's got a new partner living there. So sharing information before you get there to try and take away some of the uncertainties and the fear of the unknown. Yep. You know, the kids will have their own bedroom in this house and here's a picture of it and here's the house and here's the address, you know, and you know, whether they have you know, their own phones and things. So it's all about some of that practical information can be shared before you even start any negotiation process just to try and restore a little bit of trust and put some faith that it's all about the kids rather than about the battle that's going ahead. But so family reports could be a very helpful thing where you can see that there will be very positional stances taken and it might help to take people's mind away from I want this to the kids need that, mm. which is where the focus should really be. Um, now, I, it's certainly the case, I mean, you mentioned about sort of going to court a few moments ago and the Family Law Act these days is, is really, it's, it's changed and it's evolved over the time since it's been around in uh, the mid-70s where you're not really able to just start a proceeding for parenting arra- uh, parenting orders just off, off a whim. You, you have to go through a, what they call a pre-action procedures phase now, don't you? Yeah, you have to go and get, go, to, go and see a family dispute resolution practitioner, which is another fancy name that the government decides to come up with. <laughs> it's really just a mediator who deals with family law matters and they've been approved by the government as well. They've done the mediation course and they've also done the family dispute resolution course and they've been approved by the government. And then if things don't end as well as you'd hope, you don't end up with an agreement, at least if you use an FDRP, a family dispute resolution practitioner, they're in a position to give you a certificate that says, hey, you've done everything that you need to do. It, you know, here is your permission slip to file proceedings if you have to. That's right. And But there are exceptions, of course, when in cases of domestic violence or if it's not appropriate for the the parties to actually mediate. Or if it's super urgent. I mean, it's super we, urgent, yeah. We had a matter late last week uh, in the office where um, a, one parent just up sticks and went to another state with the children with, without any prior arrangement, just went. And it was then what do we do next? I mean, you've got to jump off to court sometimes. I mean, fortunately, we got that one resolved by agreement, but it was touch and go as to whether we would have been filing proceedings on the Monday morning. Yeah. And you wouldn't need a certificate in those circumstances. But um, generally speaking, going through the pre-action procedures, uh, which is basically another way of saying you've got to try and solve your disputes outside of court before you come to court, and mediation is probably the number one process that we would refer people to to do that. that I mean there, there can be some negotiation it could be inter-parties negotiation it could be some inter, inter-lawyer inter negotiation but you never know quite what you're going to get when you start writing letters to other lawyers I mean some of them take a very my client is right no matter what the circumstances might be and other people might be more prepared to sit down and give their client actual advice about hey I put your kids first I think first. I find I, I found that those who have completed a mediation course um, or have been involved in a lot more of the mediation space are usually a lot more amenable to trying to be a bit more child focused rather than the old fashioned positional type mm. style of old letter old letter um, my client has this and my client is the primary carer has always been and yeah. my client's going to continue to do this so it's, it's, it's I uh, and I insist and mm. I want and I demand and all yep. of that stuff and if you do not agree to this within 14 days we're going to file well, good luck but you know they, yeah. they we still get those threats from time to time 
it's never uh, never the hallmark of uh, a likely successful outcome with that solicitor involved. And so getting your clients to agree to that mediation process is a great way of sort of disempowering that person. A good mediator will be able to control not just the parties, but if they take legal reps along who are very argumentative, they can control those people too. And one of the one of the little tips and tricks that you'll often find when you're trying to agree on the mediator, because a lot of the time we can't even get a, an agreement on the mediator. Um, so it's always, a, I, my opinion is always that it's better to be the one that proposes the, the three mediators mm. um, rather than having to be the one that selects the ultimate e- uh, choice because yeah. at so least you've got control over then the... Um, that's the process you mentioned, the, the three mediators. Because what of, often happens is that y- you'll give the other side a panel to choose from or they will give you a panel to choose from. So your preference is to be the one proposing the panel. Yes, of say three mediators, because then you know they they may give you three crappy mediators that you have to choose, well, you, that you think are pretty crap, or they might be very, um, you know, what what would you say? They pro, might like dads. They might be pro mum. They might be pro might, dad, or they might have a particular um, nuance about their personality that you think isn't going to work with your client. That's right. Uh, it's very much about sort of getting the, you know the right jockey for the right horse, isn't it? So knowing the mediators, it's usually when you're going through this process. Make sure when you're talking to your family lawyer that they, you know, you know, they're familiar with this area of law, that they deal in that mediation space because so much of what we do now as family lawyers is outside of court and it is in resolving issues at processes like mediation. So you'll get to know which mediators work in which types of cases. Some are fantastic at property and you know crunching accounting numbers and things like that, and others are much more child focused. So it's about getting that balance right. But Mediation is certainly where we get a lot of agreements going. Let's say that we're lucky and at the end of our mediation we've got an agreement of sorts. So how would you then go away and get your parenting agreement turned into something that you could rely upon or something that is a little bit more legal than just a... Well, I think the first thing we need to probably cover there is that you've got two options when you get an agreement and you can either have it as a parenting plan or a parenting order. Um, now, a parenting plan, that is just simply a heads of agreement which sets out what the terms are and that both parties will sign off on that document. The problem with parenting plans is that they're just not enforceable. All they are is evidence of what was agreed. It's not necessarily a, a document that can be enforced. So my recommendation is always to transform that into a... is to turn whatever the agreement was into what's called a parenting order and you can very easily do that through an application for consent orders kit. So you either can go onto the website, the FCFC... Oh, God, I'm going to get it wrong FC, again. That's why I just call it the FC Court because, you know, it's got lots of Fs and lots of Cs. So That's the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia, so for those of you listening in America. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to that website and there are there's a little kit there. It's called an application for consent orders kit. And that's really helpful for those that are trying to do that themselves. Um, and you fill that in um, and you attach the proposed agreement and that becomes an order that's made by the court. Now, a trick for young players here is that with those agreements and those consent orders, often um, parties will, you know, they get buyer's remorse. So it's all good, everything's going well, you get an agreement at the end of the day and... The post-settlement blues set yeah, in. Yeah, 
they just for whatever reason they I have to think I about it overnight and they go no 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 that's a terrible mistake so mediator led me astray there I forgot well, I f- about this. I felt bullied. I felt rushed. I, f- I, was, I was tired. I was overwhelmed. And these things do happen. But it, that's why it's really important and my preference is always that where possible, if, it, if you've got some serious concerns about um, parties sticking to agreements and parties in needing that concrete plan, is that you have your private mediation, you have your lawyer turn up with their laptop and you go through and prepare... And the, the lawyer is armed with enough information to be able to prepare the application for consent orders and the consent order itself based on that agreement that you've reached. Um, so we have those documents actually available to be signed on the day. And I know that, right. know that you and I and our colleagues, we, we like to go with those things available yep. so that if we're getting close to an agreement, we'll be working on the paperwork to That's get it right. ratified rather than just a, you know, a one-page wish list. Because... It, that's where the agreement can fall over is that they go home and they go, actually, um, the mum goes home, pours herself a glass of wine. Oh, sorry, hang on, that's just me. <laughs> um, like mum goes home and has a rethink about what she's going to do with the kids and she's like, no, I, don't, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't let him have all this time with the children. I'm not happy with that and I'm not going to sign the orders now. But if the orders have already been signed on the day... Then it's they can have been. They can even have been lodged on the day because we lodge everything online these days in terms of making That's those right. applications. So orders is one way of formalising an agreement. So parenting orders made yep. under the Family Law Act and then made by the Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia. Alternatively, you mentioned parenting plans, and I know you're not a big fan of no. those in some cases. I've seen them work well but only in cases where there is already a good degree of trust between the parents. And it's more about trying to write down arrangements to help them almost as an aid memoir so that they, they've got it as a reference point. Oh, you know, I'm picking up the kids, it's Wednesday. But they're always flexible documents. The benefit of a parenting plan is that it's a very flexible document. Um, we're also, as, as professional lawyers, we have an obligation to inform our clients about parenting plans as an alternative. So... It's something that can work, but a little bit like you, I, I'm rather cynical because they're I'm not... I'm very cynical. I can't stand They're not stand enforceable. No. Um, I tell you one thing that, that you need to be awfully careful with, which is if you go through all of the trouble of paying for a family report, maybe getting your evidence together, your eggs, in, you know, your eggs lined up, and you go then through a mediation, you end up with a court order. Beware the later parenting plan because later parenting plans can knock over your parenting orders, even if you've spent a fortune going through a court for a couple of years. If you then subsequently make a parenting plan, and it can be as simple as something literally on the back of a fag packet written down saying, this is a parenting plan. Did you say a fag packet? did say on the back back of a fag (laughs) packet. I'm very very old. I'm very old. Um, or you know, or on a beer on a beer coaster. In theory, yeah. it's in it's in writing. It could be written inside a matchbox, mm. and it says "parenting plan." Kids live with mum all the time. Signed, dated. This is a parenting plan. You I, know, I, I, I had hate a, to I say, had it, a but friend, that is. I had a friend who dumped his girlfriend on the back of a beer coaster. That's if, if he's listening. Text. He, if if he was yeah, <laughs> no, um, and he posted it. If he if he's listening, which I'm going to make him. Yeah, I think he'll be very proud of that moment that it just got airtime. That's excellent. Mm. But uh, perhaps it could have had a parenting plan written on the back of it. It could have. It very well could have. Sign here and you get to keep the kids. Yeah, there you go. So 
beware the parenting plan, I suppose, is a little bit of the message in there. As I say, I, I, they're not all bad, and it depends very much on the relationships that we're talking about. They, they can be quite handy, particularly if you do have some doubts about whether or not, um, you know, you might be thinking, okay, right, well, this is okay now, but what's it going to be like when, you know, my ex repartners well, they can be are ha- they going to, are they going to interfere? And it provides quite good evidence, though, as to what it, the great evidence. Was. And of course, so if, if, if there is thinking, a parenting plan, a court must consider. Yeah, the parenting plan and who's complied with it and who hasn't That's later right. on if you end up with a stoush. So, so it is. It is a forward-thinking evidentiary item. Maybe it's one to put a you know a bit of a sunset clause on, so that you say this is only going to be until a certain date, and then we're going to review it and revise these arrangements. We're going to see it, suck it and see how these goes, and then in the fullness of time, we'll get long-term orders that are much more detailed. Hmm. Gosh, well, I think we've kind of exhausted the how do we get to an agreement about children, and the answer is of course. It's complicated, but keep the children in mind and get good advice from a legal, uh, from a legal practitioner like Liza who works exclusively these days in family law. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening to Split Happens, the Divorce Down Under podcast. If you want to hear more of our episodes, you'll find us wherever you find your podcasts on all good platforms.